You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Find in your chair back Bibles. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous are fair as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Father God, I thank you for the privilege to just be able to meet here as your body, united under you, Lord, just to, to come and hear your word spoken over us, to hear from your truth. I just ask that you would speak to our hearts and speak through Jeremy and give us a new understanding of what it means to live for you. In your name, amen. Thank you, Dennis. Imagine with me, you're put into a game, you and your spouse, or you're not married, you and your best friend. They ask you 10 questions, and then they ask the same 10 questions of your spouse or best friend. Would your spouse or best friend be able to answer the questions the same as you? Do they know you well? Then imagine they flip it. 
your spouse or best friend has to answer some questions and they compare it to your answers, how would you do? Would you be good on this game show? A while ago, they had a show like this called The Newlywed Game. And they'd ask some appropriate questions, some cringy questions to couples. And it was on TV and it was funny. Whoever answered the most questions would win. How would you do in that deal? Uh, but now, switch it. It's not the newlywed game. It's um, you answering questions, and then the other person answering questions is God. <laughs> so, so you go first. You know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? And you answer all your questions, and then God is asked the same questions, and it turns out he gets 10 out of 10 right because he's God. <laughs> uh, but then it flips. How would you do when God gets asked some questions? Could you answer those the right way? If somehow they could do this game show, would you want to go on TV and let everybody see how you did answering the questions? I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, maybe you think, come on, you're the preacher. You get on that show. Show us what you know about the Lord. And like, I'm trying to know stuff about God like you guys. But I mean, the facts are there's lots of stuff we get wrong. There's lots of stuff we forget. And if I just knew the stuff I was wrong on, I would want to change. But this morning we don't have the newlywed game or the does your pastor actually know God game show in the text. But what we do have in this scripture is God wanting his people to know what he is like. That's what's happening in this section. God himself wanting his people to know two crucial qualities. Let the people of God have clarity. There are two qualities of God he himself wants us to know. And those two qualities, on the one hand, are justice. Would you say justice? Uh, one, two, three. God wants you to know he is just. And he wants us to know that he is merciful. Would you say merciful? One, two, three. He wants us to know he is just and merciful. And, and both of these qualities must be held by us in tension. We cannot only hold on to one and claim to be faithful Christians, though some of us do that. Do you? Do you know people who, man, they want to talk about God's justice all day long. Wrath. Smite them, God. They love talking about God's justice, but it doesn't seem like they talk about his mercy or on the other hand, do you know any of these people? They want to talk about God's love and mercy all day long, but they want to ignore the justice side. In our text today, our author doesn't give us one without the other. He gives us both qualities of God, and his heart for us is that we would know God justly punishes the wicked and yet is merciful to the righteous. God justly punishes the wicked while also being merciful to the righteous. That's the sermon in a sentence. If you're only taking one thing away, I hope that's it. God will justly punish the wicked, and yet he will be merciful to the righteous. Two qualities in our scripture God wants us to know. So there will be two parts to the sermon. Big idea one and two. Here's big idea number one. Some of you don't really believe that God is righteous in his justice. 
Then we'll move to the second one that some of you don't believe. God is merciful to the righteous. Let's begin with this first idea of justice. And you'll see on the screen, it's from verses 16 to 21. I want to show you from the text how God is communicating about his justice. If you have your Bibles... Yes, that's what I'm talking about, ladies. We got to be at a weekend retreat last week. Some of you may wonder, why don't you ever preach here anymore? What's been going on? Last week I was in Wichita where we had the whole couple hundred kids repeat. Uh, we, I would say, if you have your Bibles, and then they would say, and I hope you... Well, we could try it. If you have your Bibles... Oh, come on, everybody. You guys can play the game. If you have your Bibles... Just in case you came to a Christian church wondering, does the preacher care if you have a Bible? I do. I'd like you to open it. I'd like you to look in the text. I don't sit around and go, hmm, what will I preach this time? No, we just look in the Word. Here's what it's saying. Some of you don't really believe God is righteous in His justice. Let me show you. Verse 16, jump in with me. Then, the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Now, we're parachuting right into the middle of Genesis 18. And if you were here last week... Pastor Dave did a fantastic job explaining to us that the Lord came with two of his friends, two angels, to let Sarah know something very important. Remember, Abraham and Sarah are very old. And the Lord had told Abraham in Genesis 17, you are going to have a son, and it's not just Ishmael. You're going to have a son with Sarah. And in a total marriage fail... Abraham, I guess, decides he's not going to let Sarah in on this little important note. You're going to have a baby and be pregnant in a year. So the Lord decides, I'm going to go tell her. So the Lord, in this chapter, he has two very important things he wants to communicate. One thing is to Sarah, who would have felt very isolated, like a social outcast because she has no children. He says, uh, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And her thought is, that's no way, no way. And of course, nothing is impossible for the Lord. And even though Sarah is a woman and not such an important figure in this patriarchal society, the text shows us that not only is nothing impossible for the Lord, but no one is too small for the Lord. Amen? That happened in the first part of this chapter. The second part then, the Lord is telling something to Sarah. Now he's going to tell something to Abraham, but he's already had this meal and the Lord and two angels are preparing to leave. So I'm imagining Abraham walks them out of his tent. He's kind of on the driveway or whatever they did. And he's, you know, so long, guys. See you later. When the text seems to indicate that the Lord is going to talk to himself. Like, you ever talk to yourself out loud? I do, but I try to do it when nobody's around. Otherwise, like, call the cops on you or whatever. So pro tip, don't talk out loud to yourself like in the middle of a big group. But this is what the Lord's doing here. He's talking out loud to himself, and we get to listen to the words that he seems to be speaking to himself, and this is so crucial. In fact, the verses 17 and 19 are the most important part of our text. If you have a Bible, circle this section because it's so important, not just today, but for future weeks. These verses are important. If you're borrowing one of our Bibles in the chair back, that's great. Circle it. That way the people next week can know, or people in different services can know how important this is. Uh, let me read it. Follow along with me, please. Verse 17, the Lord said, he's talking to himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, 
And all of the nations, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now, if you're thinking, why is this so important, Jeremy? It's because we hear God speaking and saying, this is what I want Abraham and his children to know, that I am righteous and just. Not only is the Lord righteous and just, but he wants Abraham to teach his children those qualities. For of course, this chapter 18 is not written to Abraham, remember? And it's not even written to Abraham's kids, remember? Who is Genesis 18 written to? We got to know original audience, remember? Genesis 18 is written to the Israelites after escaping from Egypt. They're out in the wilderness and they are preparing to go into the promised land someday soon. This is who is supposed to know that God is righteous in his justice. The Lord wants his people, 600 years after Abraham, to realize I've heard the outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, you see the word outcry repeated twice in 20 and 21. The Lord hears when people cry out to him. An encouragement for any of us who wonder, has the Lord heard our outcry when we've faced difficult times? Does the Lord hear the outcry when there's a school shooting? Does the Lord hear an outcry when there's innocent people in Ukraine. God heard the outcry of the Israelites in Egypt, and he hears the outcry in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he is going to investigate that outcry. But, but time out, pastor. Why is God going to investigate it? He knows everything. You're right. He does know everything. So he's not going to go investigate it because he thinks to himself, well, I've used my telescope from heaven, and I can't quite get a clear picture here, so I better go look a little closer. No, the, the Lord knows what's going on. Commentators were helpful to me. I had the same question. It's not that God needs more information. Rather, it shows us his commitment to rightly administer justice. Let the reader take heart. God is not throwing bolts of justice willy-nilly. He ensures that he punishes those who deserve it. That's what's happening. Now, here's what I want you to see. We've looked at 16 to 21. What I want us to understand, then, is the original audience, the Israelites, would have heard this read, and they would have realized that God wants his people to know him so that if, well, of course, they're not going to be on a game show, but if, but if someone was to ask, what is God like, at a minimum, they could say, man, he is just and he is merciful. And this first section is showing us God's justice. God wants us to know he is just. But of course, our great problem, like theirs, is we don't really know God. And we don't really know what he's like. Or if we do, we actually struggle to believe it. Like, let me ask you, 
do you really believe God is just? That he is perfectly righteous in his justice. Because don't forget the story of the Israelites. What are the Israelites going to do when they go into the promised land here in just a few years after getting this book? Do you remember what they're going to do? They're going to go to cities like Jericho, and what are they going to do? They're going to wipe it out. Some of you, you're going to college soon, or it won't be too long when you're going to go to college. And you might come across some snarky professor who has an interesting question for you. Or maybe some of you, you're like, no, college is like decades away, me too. So you're not worried about a college professor being snarky, but you may have a coworker, or you may find some snarky YouTube video where a person goes, oh, you believe God's just? You believe he's righteous? Well, what do you do with the ethnic genocide in the Old Testament, hmm? Oh, you're pro-life? Well, is God pro-life in the Old Testament? Because he seems to go into some places and destroy all of them. And, and don't forget what's coming in Genesis 19. We're a chapter away from Sodom and Gomorrah, which I find interesting that even non-believers have heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. And they have some legitimate questions. Because Sodom and Gomorrah, almost everybody dies. Men die. Women die. Children die. Or if you look at Canaanites, that, that, that God tells his people, read the book of Joshua, continue on in the Old Testament narrative. You're going to see God says, he says, take that people group and devote them to destruction. Devote them to destruction, the way our text translates it, is this. I want that people group wiped off the face of the map. So you might have somebody snarky. Perhaps it sounds kind of sophisticated. How would you answer a person who goes, oh, you think God's righteous and just? Well, wait a minute. I'm sure that you oppose what happened to the Jews in the Holocaust. If you're going to be consistent in your worldview, you should oppose what's happening to the Uyghurs right now in China. But why is it that you're okay when God does it? That's a good question. A good question that deserves a good answer. And here's a good answer for you. It's straight from the heart of God. God's investigating. He's double-checking. He's leaning into the situation. And we can rest assured, whoever God decides to punish in the Old Testament, he is righteous in his justice. So when God tells Israel, I want you to go in and I want you to destroy all the Canaanites, and they do, we can take comfort. He's right to do it. But maybe you're thinking, well, that doesn't feel very right to me. I'm not sure I'm okay with that. And if that's you, then might I softly propose? Well, then you may not really believe that God is righteous in his justice. Now, I won't derail the whole sermon on this apologetic for God's righteousness in judging those in the promised land, but take heart. Israel is different than any other nation in the history of the world. Israel was a theocracy. America is not. Germany is not. China is not. No other country in the history of the world can claim to be, from God, used to bring his punishment upon the nations. Israel could alone. And yet, every time that God has called Israel to do it, we trust 
God is perfectly righteous in how he has administered justice. But if you're still struggling with trying to reconcile God's justice, not only in our text here has God declared himself to be righteous in his justice, know this, that the very desire that you have in your bones for justice is put there from God. Like if in your heart you want things that are wrong to be made right, I would argue that's there because you're made in his image. Who do you think gave you that desire that the wrongs would be made righted? And there's people of God. If we're going to be people of God, then we are going to trust God is perfect and righteous in his justice. Here then is the application for us from point one. Believe God is righteous in his judgment. Believe it. We read this text as we approach the rest of the Old Testament. We consider God is right in whatever he's doing. He's right to destroy Jericho. He's right to wipe out the Canaanites. He's right to send Jonah to the Assyrians. He's right even when Israel decides to turn. He's right to judge the Israelites with the Babylonians, as it turns out. God is righteous in his justice. If you're here and you're like, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to believe God's right in his justice. Perhaps it's because you face some injustice, like you face something that is really awful, and so it's hard to reconcile that God's just. Rest assured, based on the authority of this text, he will have justice. He will have justice. And maybe you're thinking, okay, but when? I don't know when. But I know that as one who has received mercy, I'm glad he's had patience with me. And if you're ready for him to smite some people and make some wrong things right, well, on a global scale, I am too. But I, I'm sure glad he's been long-suffering with me, and I hope he'll be long-suffering for people I love who don't know him yet. And I'm betting you, you're glad he was long-suffering with you. So however long the Lord wants to tarry, even though it may lead us to struggle, we're going to trust the Lord's justice is coming. We're going to see it. The whole world's going to see it. If you're here and you'd say, man, I'm not, I'm not struggling to believe God is righteous in his justice. I believe from our text, Abraham's taught to teach his kids. Moms and dads, teach your kids. God is righteous in his justice. May they grow up knowing God is just. He is. And as you make disciples, those of you believing it, Teach this truth. We're all called to make disciples, so share it in your mentoring group. Share it in your life group. When you're on a text thread and somebody's struggling with something, you can encourage them, hey, don't forget, man, the Lord is righteous in his justice. And live in such a way that it's not only a truth you're declaring, but a way that you're acting. May the cognitive truth of God's justice be seen in the way we live practically. Well, that's what we've seen the first half of our text. Let's move to the second half of our text. Considering God's mercy, here's the big idea. Some of you, you don't really believe God is merciful to the righteous. Look in verse 22. We're going to see that 
the group of three that had come and had some food with Abraham is now split up. Two of them are going to go to Sodom. They're going to make it at night. That's 19.1. We'll look at that next week. But the Lord lingers, and it leads Abraham to ask him a couple questions. And this is kind of the most confusing part of our text. It's a little bit odd, but let's look at it together. Abraham drew near and said to the Lord, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the, all the earth do what is just? Lean into this. Realize Abraham is granting the Lord the benefit of the doubt. He trusts that the Lord knows justice for Sodom and Gomorrah is necessary. Abraham's believing the truth, and yet he's got a question. If there's 50 righteous there, are they going to take the same fate as everybody else? And, and he says it twice, far be it from you, which is our way of saying, that's not what you're like. Why are you acting like that? You know that's not you. Abraham knows something about the Lord. Abraham would do well on that game show. He knows that the Lord's going to have justice, but he knows the Lord's merciful. I know it's not like you. To, if there were 50, I know what you would do. You wouldn't do that, would you? And what does the Lord say? It gives me goosebumps. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham's right. And, and hallelujah, good news, friends. The Lord will spare if only for 50. Okay, one, two. Do we count me? No, don't count me. <laughs> 27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will, I, will you destroy the whole city for a lack of... Five. For those mathematically challenged, we're now at 45. And the Lord's answer, I'll be merciful for 45. Abraham continues. He spoke to him and says, suppose 40 are found there. The Lord answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. I'm now at verse 30. Abraham said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Parents, you ever had a kid come up to you or your kids come up to you and go, hey, hey, dad, hey, dad I'm going to ask you a question. Don't be, don't be angry, okay? What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> you already know what's going to happen inside. Don't ask that stupid question. That's a dumb question. I can just tell you right now. Go ask your mother. <laughs> That's what Abraham's doing. He's like pushing the envelope. Like, I think I'm a thin eye, so like, don't be mad at me, but I want to know. What's he say? Started at 50, got to 45, down to 40. He says, what about 30? God says, yeah. Man, if there's only 30, I will spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then even more tension. What about 20? For 20, I'll do it. And, and, and at, this point, I, at this point, I sort of wonder if Abraham kind of turns his back to the Lord, and he's like counting on his fingers. Hey, I don't know about him. But he knows 
20 ain't going to cut it. 20 ain't going to cut it. Verse 32, then Abraham said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. The Lord answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Look at the Lord's mercy. He's going to investigate the outcry of Sodom, and it's awful. But he's going to have mercy if just for ten. And then our text ends. The Lord goes his way, and, and, and Abraham stays on his driveway or whatever and says, see you later. That's the end of our text. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Baked into verses 22 to 33 is Abraham's confident belief. His God is merciful. And his God isn't going to take any who are righteous and put them into the judgment of the wicked. He won't do it. He will be merciful before he allows 10 righteous to be judged. Abraham knew it. Man, he knew it. I know you wouldn't do that. And this is the principle then for the original audience, what the Israelites would need to understand and what we, Mill Creek, need to understand is that when God sends his punishment, he does not punish the righteous with the wicked. And this actually gives us even more ammo in our answer for that snarky professor who wants to know, what do you do with ethnic genocide in the Old Testament? Yes, God does justly punish the wicked, but he's always merciful to those he chooses. And even though all of us ultimately deserve the wrath of God, we all don't get it because he is merciful to those he's chosen. He's merciful to those he's chosen. And that's in the text, verse 19. If you want to flip back or scan up back to verse 19, he says, For I have chosen Abraham. Whoever God cho chooses, he'll be merciful to. And, and there's actually examples. I so appreciated one commentator who wrote this. Of God sparing the righteous when he judges a nation, you find examples like Rahab in Joshua 2. He spares her. Remember her profession? Assyria in Jonah chapter 3 and 4, they are spared. Israel is spared when they have become wicked, Ezekiel 14. God is not that dad that I can sometimes be where I come in and it seems like everybody's lipping off and I say, everybody go to your room. Spanks for everybody, me included. What I want you to see, God really is merciful. He is merciful to those who are righteous. And who is righteous? Those he has chosen. Those who have been chosen are called. Those who are called are predestined. Those who are predestined are justified because of Jesus. And it's not just Abraham that's chosen. You know the Old Testament storyline, right? God chose Israel too. And, and God didn't chose Israel because they were awesome. It's like, not like the Israelites are out of, the, out of Egypt and they're like, we know why you saved us, because we wonderful people. Look at Deuteronomy 7. This is what the word says. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. 
God made a promise, and, and the Lord has chosen Israel to keep his promise. It's like, Israel isn't going to the prom with God because Israel's so fly. And look how pretty I am. God's like, no, you ugly. But I picked you, and I love you because I love you. And because I love you, you're actually beautiful. That was true for Abraham. God didn't pick Abraham because he's sinlessly perfect. God didn't pick Israel because they're more in number. And God didn't pick you and I, any of us who've been chosen. Has, it's not because of us. Look, Ephesians 1.4, look. Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, which means before Genesis 1.1, God has chosen us. So we weren't plan B. Adoption's not plan B. This is his plan A. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before God in love. God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Here then is what I hope would move from your head to your heart. If God has chosen you, he is making you righteous. And he is merciful to you in choosing you. For some of you, that might be easier to admit for everybody else than for yourself. For some of you, you might think, I'm fine that God chose Abraham or the Israelites or even you, Pastor. I'm fine that God chose them, but I have a hard time believing he really loves me. I think some of, some of us, if we're honest, we feel like the Lord is somewhere between slightly annoyed and you do that again and I'm going to kick you out the family. That's sort of how we feel like God's relating to us. Because, because we're honest, we think, okay, God's going to justly punish the wicked, but he's going to be merciful to the righteous. I know which place I'm at. I, I'm not righteous. I'm the wicked. And, and we get to the point where we think to ourselves, well, how does this even work? This feels mutually exclusive. How can God simultaneously punish wicked justly and yet be merciful to the righteous? How does this even work? But here's the good news. This is the best part of sermon. God accomplishes both. And if you're here and chosen by God, he makes you righteous. But I hope you're thinking to yourself, but how does that work in this text? Because I know I'm actually wicked. Here's how it works in this text. Look at that second part that's kind of awkward. If, if you're here and, and I said, you need to pick one group of people that you identify with. Would you identify with the righteous or would you identify with the wicked? If you're honest, you and I have to identify with the wicked. And if you're thinking, yeah, but then how am I made righteous? Our text says, if there are 50 righteous, you are going to have mercy too. Well, that's good news. But if you're thinking, well, well, how's that work? Well, it's actually not 50, remember? It's also 40. So if there's just 40 of us in here, God would have mercy on you, wicked person. But it's not 40, is it? It's 30. No, it's not even 30. It's what gets us all the way down to 10. Which means if you're here and you think to yourself, but I'm wicked, how am I made righteous? The Lord has said he will have mercy on you if but for 10. But that actually leads me to wonder, 
a question Abraham never asked. But maybe you are right now. Would God have mercy on those of us who are wicked if there was only one righteous person? We who are wicked, would God spare us if only for one righteous man? Here's the gospel connection, church. God has not spared you because of Abraham. He was not sinlessly perfect. Remember Hagar, Genesis 16? Remember how he pretended his wife was his sister, let his wife jump into somebody's harem? He's gonna do that again. He doubts God's promises. Oh, and by the way, Abraham's got more sin issues coming in future chapters. We aren't made righteous because Abraham was sinless. No, Abraham's made righteous, Genesis 15, 6, because he believed the Lord, and the Lord credited to Abraham righteousness. The Lord gave Abraham righteousness, not because of Abraham's righteousness, but he imputed, which is a fancy theological word for the Lord assigned to Abraham the qualities of another. He gave Abraham righteousness based on his faith. No, Abraham was not the perfect one. He was not the righteous one, and neither was Israel. Israel wasn't righteous on their own merits. Hello, grumbling and complaining against God. Hello, doubting God's promises in the wilderness. Hello, disobeying God's command to enter the promised land. No, Abraham is not sinlessly perfect. Israel is not sinlessly perfect, and neither are we. None of us in here are sinlessly perfect. But here's the gospel connection God will have mercy on the righteous and those who are wicked can be made righteous because of Jesus. The one who did live perfectly sinless and righteous, it was Jesus who flipped the script. His perfect life deserved to have all of God's promises and love poured out on him, yet at the end of his life, Jesus didn't take what he had perfectly earned, but instead, he took the justice that you and I have rightly earned. See, we who deserve God's righteous judgment can be given mercy because at the cross, Jesus would make all who believe in him, he would impute his righteousness to them. Good news. You aren't righteous on your own. I'm not righteous on my own but we can be righteous because of Jesus. Understand then, intellectually, but most importantly with your heart, it's Romans 3. In Jesus, all our unrighteousness is justified by what Jesus did. In Jesus, we receive the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation is that fancy theological word that means God's wrath is satisfied. Would you say God's wrath is satisfied? One, two, three. God's wrath is satisfied. The Bible paints God's wrath as a big cup that must be drank. And at the cross, Jesus Christ took your cup and he drank it. He took, he took God's wrath, he drank it, and it's empty. There is no wrath left for you if you are in Jesus Christ. Yes, you were wicked, but Jesus took that wickedness, your wickedness, my wickedness, imputed to Jesus, 
and his righteousness imputed to you. At the cross, we see what feels mutually exclusive come together. At the cross, wicked is punished while mercy is extended to those who God sees as righteous. Friend, understand who God is. If you would believe this message, he would save you. You would be welcomed into God's covenant family and you would receive all the covenant promises that Jesus has rightly earned. Here then is the so what. And, and you got to get your pens ready. You need to write this down. I'm about to blow your ever-loving minds. This is, gonna, this is a game changer I'm about to drop on you. Here's the so what. So what are we supposed to do? Believe God's promise. Believe God is merciful to the righteous. That's not a new idea. He says that every week. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I was being sarcastic. It's just that same old gospel, man. Oh, it's powerful. It's that same old gospel. Man, you got to believe. God is merciful to the righteous. If you're here and you would say, man, I'm struggling. Consider the cross. Look at the cross. This is where righteous Jesus took our justice for sin. At the cross, Jesus offers mercy to those of us who deserve God's justice. Turn your eyes on Jesus. He was the only one righteous enough to satisfy God, and he's the only one merciful enough to make you righteous. For those of you here who'd say, man, I'm not struggling with this. I believe it. From the text, teach your kids. Abraham's commanded to teach his children. Psalm 78 tells the Israelites, keep teaching the children. Let us keep discipling our kids. Dear friends, somebody's discipling your kids. I promise discipleship is happening. The question is, are you doing it? Netflix, culture, internet, it's all discipling kids. Let them hear from us. The Lord is just. But because of Jesus, he'll be merciful to you. Friends, there is coming a day when we will face God, and it won't be a game show. It'll be the final judgment. And on that day, the question will be, do you know God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ? Final thought for those of you who are here, you're just checking this Christianity thing out. Maybe your parents are Christians, and you're not sure if you really believe it. Maybe you're just a guest of ours, and you showed up, kind of want to see what this Jesus thing is all about. If that's you, you may be tempted to think to yourself, it's not very fair that Abraham talked to God himself. Like, why didn't God do that to me? You know, Jeremy, this whole thing is it's fine and dandy for you to preach, but, man, I would really like to hear from God himself. So why don't you tell God to come walking around in my neighborhood and knock on my door? That would be fascinating to me. And I suppose you could ask God to do that. He usually doesn't do that. But I might suggest to you, while God may not be knocking on your front door the way he was knocking on Abraham's door, what's happening right now between you and God is not so different than what happened in Genesis 18. If you're here and you don't know God, he has come to you even right now to tell you something about who he is. You are hearing the word of the Lord. Not, it's nothing special about me. It's based on the authority of his word 
through a broken and imperfect preacher. But hear this, God is telling you right now what he is like. And your question, if you haven't trusted in him, is this, will you believe? And this is just as much a sober moment as it was for Abraham between the Lord and you for you to decide, am I gonna believe that God is just and he's merciful? So a thousand years from now, you won't be able to say at judgment, I didn't know God. Well, if you're here right now, if you're listening to this sermon, you have no excuse. This is a Genesis 18 moment, and if you don't know God, here's what you could do. Just move your palms up to him and say, I want to believe. I trust you. I believe you. I'm sorry for my sins. Would you save me? And he's so merciful, he'll do it. Will you pray with me now that this miracle might happen? Lord, thank you for the time that we've been able to share. And Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can save. And I pray you would. If there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray you grant them. Would you give them faith? And would you save them? Lord, for those in, of us in here who do believe in your justice and mercy, would you give us great encouragement to teach our children, to disciple one another, to encourage one another with the truth of the gospel. And I pray your justice and mercy would be believed and seen in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.